Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Living Real Podcast. This is a place for discovering what it truly means to live out real faith in real life for Christ in the real world. My name is Melanie Shaw, your host, as well as founder and editor-in-chief of Living Real Magazine. This season, we will be providing a two-part podcast every month. Part one will be opening God's Word together to grow as we deepen and strengthen the roots of our faith, to discover more about God and His character, and to pray for infusing what we learn into our everyday lives. Part two will be a conversation with a guest to encourage us along our faith walks to become more like Christ. I'm so excited about this season and I hope you are. So are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8, Part 1 of the Living Real Podcast. Today we're taking a look at the enemy of the light, and we're using the scriptures Ephesians 6, 12, Chapter 5, Verses 8b and 11. Are you aware that the enemy of the light is unleashing more and more darkness into the world? I've never seen evil increase at such a rapid pace like we're seeing it today. Of course, God is still in control, but we must be vigilant and biblically strategic in how we push back against this present darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you're paying attention to the war going on in the heavenly realm, then you know it's playing out right here in our living space under the heavens. The enemy of our souls has a name, and his name is Satan. The lover and protector of our souls also has a name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, maker and ruler of heaven and earth. The battle over sin in the grave was won when Jesus paid the debt for our sins on his cross and rose from the grave three days later. But the battle for our souls is still being waged. From Genesis 3.15 until Revelation, where Satan and his army of demons will will be cast into the lake of fire, the enemy will continue to fight with all that's at his disposal. For the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28, things are falling into place as we are fast approaching the end of the church age. But for those who continue to reject Christ as their Savior, things are falling apart. Satan has ramped up his strategy and attacks against souls who are especially vulnerable in our society. Sex trafficking is one of his more horrific war strategies and has stolen more souls of young girls and boys than we could ever imagine. This summer, I read the first two books of Charles Martin's three-book Keeper series, The Water Keeper and The Letter Keeper, Through these books, I believe Martin is fulfilling Ephesians 5, 8, and 11. Ephesians 5, 8b says, Walk as children of light. And then in verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The heroes in the ongoing Keeper series are exposing and shining light on the evils of a multi-billion dollar industry around the world called human sex trafficking. 
Martin's bravery to expose, rescue, and offer healing with his stories shines a light on the bravery of those in the real world fighting this evil day in and day out. Walking as children of light does not mean we step off the sidewalk when we come up against evil. It means we expose evil with the truth wherever and however it invades our space. Truth is the light of Christ and exposes sin for what it truly is, the pathway to death and an eternity of suffering outside the presence of God. But when sin is exposed with the light, Christ provides the only way to step out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. Through grace, love, and forgiveness, He will set the prisoner free to live in the glorious presence of God forevermore. So how will you be light today? Stay close to the Word of God so you can walk in the light, remain in the light, and bask in the light. Now, let's meet the author of the Keeper series, Charles Martin, who has crafted a powerful story of hope, truth, and an unending love. It's also filled with a little James Bond action. So stay tuned for part two. You don't want to miss this interview. Welcome to part two of season two, episode eight of the Living Rule podcast. I am so pumped about this conversation with our New York Times bestselling author, Charles Martin. I'll tell you what's impressed me deeply about Charles's bio so far is that it doesn't really focus on his achievements of writing in his 15 novels, but it's more about who he is every day, loving his family, starting with the love of his life. So here's what it reads on his um, website at charlesmartinbooks.com. Christy and I married in 1993. If you include dating, I've known and loved her for more than half my life. She is and always will be the home for my heart. We have three boys, Charlie, John T., and Ribs. Folks often ask me, which of my books do I like the best? You might as well line up my sons and ask me who I love the most. My hobbies are bow hunting, working out, and taekwondo. In October 2012, I earned my black belt, but I'm still the least flexible person you'd ever meet. The guy that trains me laughs every time I start warming up. My boys are far better at taekwondo than I, but I doubt they have as much fun. I get to do and watch. They just do. I also like to write, but that's another story. Well, I really, that's the story I want to talk about today, Charles. So welcome to the Living Real Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time since I wrote that. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the whole part about being the least flexible human being you've ever met, that's still true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just, I can't imagine. It just sounds like exerting a lot of energy that I just don't have. But uh, it sounds like a lot of fun with your boys, though. Well, it was a lot of fun earlier in their early in their life. Um, you know, I, I I tried to do whatever they wanted to do, and I guess when Charlie was really young, he's our oldest. Mm-hmm. He got into baseball, and so I got into baseball. And you know, he I mean, I, I wanted to be with him, so I would I started coaching. So I coached him all through, you know, t ball and tadpole and all this sort of stuff. And then John T gets in there, and Reeves gets in there, and I think somewhere. I don't know, maybe I've been coaching eight or so years, you know, through the, through the three of them. And at one point, 
um, I'm coaching two different teams and I, 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 we had a, it got to the point where I was trying to get everybody together and get all their stuff and get all the bags and the cleats <laughs> and the hats and the bats and the good bags, just everything and get up in the truck so we get to, to practice on time. And I looked in the back seat one day after, you know, herding cats and getting them all in there. And I, evidently I had, you know, ruffled a few feathers trying to get them <laughs> in the car. And uh, I looked back there and none of them looked happy and none of them looked like they wanted to go. And it just struck me, why, why am I doing this? And I said to him, I said, guys, are y'all over baseball? And three little heads kind of nodded. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, uh-oh. And I said, well, okay, if, if, you didn't, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? And at the time, we were passing a taekwondo, taekwondo studio in my neighborhood, and I knew the instructor. And they all three pointed in unison. And I <laughs> thought, okay, so we finished the season, and then I walked in and signed us up, and five years later, we all graduated with our black belts. That is so cool. That is just really so cool. But you'd have never known that if you hadn't asked them the question. So that's that's really in, insightful. Um so tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, I know that this is just a smidgen of, of where you come from. I didn't even tell where you live or any of that. So give us a, a, a little bit more about who you are and your family and those kinds of things. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I'm, I'm, I will be 52 this November, which I can't, I can't even believe I hear myself say that. I think 52, <laughs> holy smokes. Uh, Christine and I have been married 28 years uh, this past month. Mm-hmm. We just, just really yesterday, uh, started this new adventure called Empty Nesters. <laughs> um, I don't, it was weird. We walked in. We took Reeves to college. He's, he's a freshman at Sanford in Birmingham. So we took him, dropped him off, you know, did his room, did all that, dropped him off went south to the beach for a couple of days and it was in our genius planning we picked a beach that was right on the outskirts of a hurricane and just passed through the western side of new orleans so we rent this little beach place the hurricane shows up and we have three days of semi-hurricane force winds which we stared at out the window so that was interesting wow um and then uh came home and you know after 24 years of listening to the sound of boys in the house Whatever that is, from, you know, friends to video games to television to just walking around to the sound of John T. playing guitar to the sound of Reeves playing his drums to, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we came home yesterday to the sound of silence. Wow. I think Christy and I are kind of walking around the house <laughs> wondering, like, where did all the noise go? Mm. So it's uh, I think we're in a little bit of an adjustment. I'm I'm glad that I love her and she loves me because I can understand how if you got to this point and your entire life had only been about you know medicating the pain in your marriage with your kids or and I'm not knocking that I realize that that happens to a lot of people but if for whatever reason we had gotten to this place mm. and not really kind of stayed in love with one another. I can see how you get here and you go, holy smokes, who are you? You're a stranger and I don't really even know you. I'm thankful that we're not in that place. Oh, yes. That is, it's just, 
I can't imagine that either because my husband and I, although we, you know, you pour yourselves into your kids, you still have to pour time into yourselves and because you're still going to be married on the other side when the kids leave. And uh, it is an awkward but bittersweet um, kind of place to be. And it's fun getting to know one another over again and, um, you know, starting new things together. So I'm excited for you guys. Well, over the last couple of days, we spent some time talking about, okay, well, if if you want to, like, you know, do something new, what would you do new? Like, what would you add? What would you, uh, about two years ago, um, for whatever reason, I don't even remember what the reason was. I think the reason was probably my own frustration at going to any social function where people are dancing be it a wedding or whatever <laughs> and Christy would always ask me to dance and I, I'm horrible I don't even know how <laughs> it's embarrassing and I look like I mean I, it, it's bad okay it's really bad so about two years ago I just got frustrated with my own being horrible and I literally googled dance studios near me <laughs> And this studio came up just like a mile down the road. And I, just before I chickened out, I went to their website, clicked contact, and I wrote an email that said something like, hi, I live a mile down the street from you. I've been married to my wife for 26 years. I love her, she loves me. I'm a horrible dancer. I'm not just saying that to like make you think I'm really horrible. Can you help people like me? And a few minutes later, my phone, or really 30 seconds later, my phone rang because I'd given them my the phone number. I said, please call me before I chicken out. 30 seconds later, my phone rings and it's this lady laughing on the other, other end and she can barely talk. <laughs> and she said, we would love to just come in, just come in and hang out with us and have fun. And so we did. And our dance instructor's name is Ashley. She's awesome. So for two years, we've, we've done this now. I cannot tell you I am markedly better, <laughs> but it is fun. Um, I do know a little bit of what I'm doing. I'm a lot less embarrassed. I actually kind of know more than some of the people who are there pretending to dance. So um, I don't know. That's been one thing that we kind of added into our life about two years ago. I'm kind of curious to see what, you know, maybe we need to increase our dance lessons or something. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um I'm not a dancer. I'm actually a musician and have played piano my entire life. I have sung. I have done you know, music ministry, worship leading, all that stuff. And my husband can dance, but he doesn't want to dance in public. And then so we were at a wedding last weekend or two weekends ago in Charleston. And I kept saying, come on, come on, let's let's just, you know, our daughter's the bridesmaid. And we knew all these kids from being in our home all these years. I said, let's go have some fun. Nope. Not we did not so I just kind of danced over on the side by myself and I have thought about that actually (laughs) doing the um you know dance studio thing and say let's just go have some fun so I think you have inspired me and I'm going to bring it up I think I'm going to do it well it's you know we look if you just walk in with the mindset that I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) I, I need some professional help and I really am horrible you really can't start any lower than that. And um, Chrissy doesn't make fun of me. And, and so we, you know, 
It's fun for us. Uh, well, I know when my daughter gets married, she's going to want, you know, do the daddy dance and all sure, of that yeah. stuff. And so we just have got to get this under control and, and do it. So that's what we will do. I promise that's what we're going to do. All right. Well, let's get talking about some other stuff and um, kind of move on into the, um, the crux of this. Um, to be able to live real, <laughs> have real faith in real life, there has to be a, a spiritual journey beginning. So can you share a, a little bit about how you um, started your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ? One of the things I'm really probably most grateful for in my life, especially as I walk through life and ministry with other men, is my own heritage and the, the blessing of that. And mm. You know, my grandparents were all, all, all of my grandparents on both sides loved the Lord. They were married, both sets of grandparents were married over 70 years. Wow. Um, I grew up in a house with a mom and dad who, while not perfect, they loved each other and they loved the Lord. And so I don't really remember too many nights in my household as a child. Actually, I don't remember any where my folks, you know, didn't pray with me. Mm-hmm. you know at night where we didn't pray through the things that were difficult or challenging or the struggles or the you know the, the needs that we had I mean the, 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 the first response was prayer mm. um, I got to see my folks you know we would go to church and I got to see my folks in worship and you know, in the Word, and I got to see him reading it and applying it and teaching it to me and <laughs> correcting me with the Word, which was something I got often because <laughs> I needed it. Um, so I, I don't have any memory of never knowing the Lord as Lord. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just grew up in a house where the Lord was and is Lord, and He still is. Right. And. And I guess you could argue, well, Charles, did you just sort of adopt their faith? I said, no, I think I saw their faith lived out and I fell in love with the one that they loved. Mm. Uh, Does that mean I was always obedient and didn't rebel? Of course not. Um, But the thing I'm grateful for, you know, even to this day is, you know, the way my folks showed me the Lord and I Christy and I have prayed for a long time that you know train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old and not depart from it and I think part of that training is just showing him who you love and why you love him right and that obedience while you know Jesus says somewhere in John 15 if you love me obey my commandments and so obedience to him and what he says and what he commands isn't because he's holding us under his thumb, but because we love him. Exactly. And so it's you know it's a it's a different kind of obedience. Mm-hmm. It's just obedience because we love him. That's anyway. So that's the beginning of my faith and my you know my journey. And then I guess as I got out on my own, and one of the things that my my family is for whatever reason always loved the word and been in it, and so that. 
I, I believe that spiritual blessing that Aries was passed to me, and I do love the word. I'm in it a pretty good bit. Mm-hmm. I read. I would rather read it than anything. That doesn't mean that I don't read other stuff. But if you give me the choice, and I can only have one book on planet Earth, it'd be my Bible. Although I would have, I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit of a Bible geek, and I have several, so it may take me a minute to pick the one. <laughs> to which one? <laughs> but you know, I don't know. That'd be hard. It'd be really, really tough. Um, so. Well, I think the legacy is, is um, it just plays so deeply into our relationship with Christ. And, you know, there are fewer and fewer families that can say that their um, parents and in-laws or grandparents or whatever have had a significant um, marriage legacy to pass on. And it's just, you know, I'm very grateful for the ones that have been in my family who that have been so amazing and um i understand that completely because sometimes it's hard to say being in a house that christ wasn't ever there he was always there so um i i love that that's how your your story started and then it's almost like you just mesh into it it's um you know he just becomes your life and uh it's it's amazing so. Well, I appreciate I appreciate it so much more. One of the things the Lord has blessed me with in the last twenty years is walking through life with you know men that I've just fallen in love with, and they've been my brothers, become my brothers, and we do life together. About a dozen of them, mm-hmm. and and I've seen the the difference between you know where the Lord placed me and where He placed them, and He's sovereign. So He He there's nothing that happens to us that's not first sifted through His fingers. And he placed them, many of them, in places that are different than me. And I see what they grew up with, what they didn't grow up with, and what, you know, the hurdles and the wounds. And anyway, I'm just grateful for where he placed me and, Mm. um, you know, what he's, just where he placed me. I'm just grateful for that. Yes. Well, let's talk a little bit then about... um, being an author and your writing and you know how you kind of came into doing that and was it something that you started as a child or something you fell into as a teenager or how did all that come about i started writing when i was 15 because it's how i made sense of the world in which i find myself i'm, a, I'm an extreme introvert um, <laughs> this, this summer on a family vacation christy and i and all of our boys and our new daughter-in-law took the Myers-Briggs, you know, personality assessment or whatever you call it. And I had taken it years ago and I was an extreme introvert then. I think I'm even more introverted now. I have a zero extrovert score. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I grew up, you know, as a 15-year-old up, up, up until about the time of 15, just I'm a, I was a really great daydreamer. Um, and uh, I just... I don't know. I was a great daydreamer. I would have much rather have been outside than in. Uh, getting me to sit still long enough to write something was um, just not probably in something I wanted to do. But for whatever reason, when I was about 15, I think I found myself in my first perfect storm, which was, you know, grades. Can I make grades good enough to satisfy my parents? Can I, can I make grades good enough to play college football? athletics uh, hmm. could I play college football that was kind of my dream and my, my idol 
hormones. I didn't know what to do with those girls. Do they like me? Would they go out with me? So that sort of soup became this thing that's swirling around inside me. And because I didn't possess the tools to talk about them, mm-hmm. or at least I hadn't exercised those tools, I didn't know how to say, hey, I couldn't tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, here's the thing that I'm sort of chewing on and wrestling with. Can you help me walk through this? I, I bet that would have never occurred to me. So for whatever reason, one night I sat down and I wrote a story and that story had nothing to do with what I just told you, but somehow the process of writing it allowed me to vent. It was like letting the pressure out of the pressure cooker. It was Mm -hmm. like taking a really deep breath that I've never known. And I found an outlet. And so I did all that. I did that through high school, through college through grad school I didn't try and write a novel until I was 27 because I was probably afraid to I, I felt like part of my problem was every time I walked in Barnes and Noble you, you know you'd walk in and you'd see all those huge ginormous faces up on the wall of all these famous writers from mm-hmm. Hemingway to Steinbeck to you know name your icon and I think the subconscious message that I would always walk away with was well to be here you got to be one of these people. And I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't, for whatever reason, maybe it's desperation. I walked in one day and I just sort of had the thought, well, they weren't always them. At some point in their life, they were just me. And so at about 27, I sat down and, and wrote a novel. And that would later become The Dead Don't Dance, which was my first book. Mm-hmm. And this week I'm completing, or literally got up from my desk a few minutes ago working on the last couple of scenes in novel number 16, which is the third installment on a trilogy that I started a couple of years ago. Wow. That's a great story. I just, (laughs) (laughs) that's just amazing, you know, but you had to just come to that conclusion that those guys were just like you at some point in life and you know i think that's that's how we need to look at ourselves is you know god's planted us here for his purpose and his reason and we all start somewhere and um it's not about becoming famous or any of that it's you know it's just about being who he's created us to be and walking through those doors so i'm so glad you walked through barnes and nobles that day and came to that conclusion i think it was I've looked back on that time in my life some and I think the thing that I think the thing that spurred me probably toward activity really was desperation Mm -hmm. and just you know I had been writing I felt like I could write I'd written some short stories and stuff I'd written a lot of them actually and I give them to people and they responded kindly, most of which is my family. But, you know, your family's supposed to tell you that they like it. If you're not, you don't need to have this family. <laughs> but then I'd have some folks that, that had no reason to tell me, you know, that it was good. And somewhere in there, I just, and maybe this is the case with artists. Maybe, maybe we have to reach a point of desperation to like move us into whatever the hard thing is that we're afraid to do. Hmm. But I think that, I think that desperation was probably what moved me, um, you know, into tackling something that I thought that's, that's something other people do. 
Right. Wow. And that happens a lot of times. People just get so desperate that they have to move. That's the motivation. And that's um, that's really a powerful, a powerful place to be. But it's also powerful on the other side of it once you do act on that desperation. So I'm not just let me get through this before you critique the comparison (laughs) and I'm not really comparing myself to him but Sylvester Stallone um, I know folks have mocked him but he's I love him as an actor and I have since Rocky I just Mm -hmm. granted he's you know maybe he's not you know maybe some people like vanilla some people like chocolate some people like Neapolitan whatever he's he's my flavor one of my flavors of ice cream Mm -hmm. and um, I appreciate him as a writer and I was reading something a couple of weeks ago and he sat down and wrote the screenplay to Rocky, I don't know, early 1970s or something, but he talks about that and it was a place of desperation. I think he wrote it and he wrote the entire screenplay in a couple of days. Wow. But it was, um, he talked about how out of desperation he found his own voice, which I just love. Uh, mm. I think that's fantastic. Yes, that is, that's a great, great story. Well, I think one of the first books I read, actually it was the the first book I read by you was When Crickets Cry. And wow, um, I was hooked and that that story was so mesmerizing from, you know, page to page to page and I had never heard of you. And that was the book that introduced me to your writing. Um, so as a... Uh, I'm definitely not a New York Times author, but I do sit around with some authors and we do write and all those things. So I think this would be an interesting story for them or a question. So what comes first for you? Is it the storyline or is it a biblical truth that you have grasped that you want to explain through story? How does how does your how do your stories come? That's a great question. I don't. I think for me it always starts with a picture in my head and it's usually a picture of a character who's in some place of broken and I'm begin asking questions like how they get there why are they why are they there what happened and then for me the arc of the story is moving that character from a place of broken to not mm-hmm. it, it, it really it doesn't I need to be careful how I say this but it doesn't necessarily start with a truth mm-hmm that I'm trying to communicate it that doesn't mean that I'm not you know as I see this character in my head there's certainly a theme that like why is he broken well the why often becomes a truth or a theme certainly with like if you look if you if you read send down the rain which is about a, a Vietnam veteran if you look at wrapped in rain which is about a, a little black lady who raises two you know, bastard boys, uh, just selflessly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at when crickets cry, it really becomes um, a novel about our heart, our physical heart. Mm-hmm. And because this pumping thing in the middle of our chest, it's also out of that that we make decisions and we laugh and we love and we cry and we forgive. And so I think for so long it's been 
it's it started with an image of a, of a character and a theme has bubbled up around it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when I wrote the Waterkeeper song two and a half years ago, the Waterkeeper would become this trilogy that I'm, that I'm working on. It's the Waterkeeper, the Letterkeeper, and the, the third installment. I'm, I'll literally finish next week. But that one, that one is probably the, the clearest example. Um, I. I was about two and a half years ago, I was on book tour up in North Georgia and I had a book tour for me is not very romantic. It's me and my truck and it's about 2000 miles driving around the Southeast going from bookstore to bookstore. So I'll do an event at night, go to a hotel, spend the night, get up the next day, drive to the next one, go to my hotel. And I usually have a couple hours and then I do another event and then it's wash, rinse, repeat. And that goes on for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got to my hotel, or it was a motel actually, and I got my stuff in my room and I'm walking down the walkway along the side of the, going to get a water bottle out of the Coke machine. And a a guy, a very well-dressed man in a suit, he was bigger than me, um, pulled up in a Jaguar. He was way out of place. The only car in the parking lot was my truck. This was not a good section of town. And it just, his car didn't fit in and he didn't fit in. he parked and gets out and he sees me and I figured this out later. He, he chose the stairwell to go up to intersect me so that he, I would have to bump into him. And anyway, I, I do. And, uh, you know, normally when you're on a balcony walkway or something, you know, it's large enough for a couple of people. And, and so like, you know, you do, you know, if you're going to bump into him, you sort of move to the right and they move to the right and you say hello and they walk right past. Well, as I'm about to bump into him, I move to the right and he moves to the left directly in front of me so I can't go around him. Uh. And um, I, I just, I don't even say anything. Um, he just, he's big and he suddenly sort of gets up in my personal space and all he says to me is, yeah, so I've paid for some time with these girls down in a room down here, and sometimes they like to have somebody join us, and sometimes they like to have somebody watch us. Are you interested? Oh, my stars. And I, my first thought was not, you know, I mean, all I want to do is put my fist through his face, and I just looked at him and I said no. And that started in me a process. Like, I watched him go into the room, I watched him leave an hour later, I watched the girls leave. I mean, I called Christy and just kind of unpacked it with her. I ended up talking about it later that night at my book event. And so this thing became sort of a, you know, became my entrance or my introduction into the world of sex trafficking and the thought that somebody not of their own volition, someone who had been kidnapped, taken, you name it, and was forced to lie on their back in a hotel room at 30 minute slots and just be raped for profit for weeks and months and years on end um, that bothered me a Mm. lot Mm. and so out of that that happened about the same time I'm also reading in Matthew 18 and I read the both Matthew 18 and um well, Luke 15 is the parable of the prodigal, actually the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But then when you get to Matthew 18, you get to the story of the shepherd who leaves the one, or leaves the 99 to find the one. And 
somewhere in that same week, it struck me that, and I've read this story a lot, and you have, and we've all mm-hmm. read it. And it just struck me that why would the shepherd leave the safety of the 99? the protection, the comfort, the security, why would he do that to chase one dumb sheep that got itself lost again? Mm-hmm. And not only does he chase the sheep, but he finds them, throws him, on his, him or her on his shoulders, and then comes back and has a party. And it just struck me that to the shepherd, who literally gives his life for the one sheep, the needs of the one outweigh those of the 99 and the economy of God. That's just the way he works. <laughs> and so this thing happened on the balcony. I'm reading this at the same time. And then the third thing was this image of this, this guy with a, a hurting place on the inside, uh, riding down the intercoastal waterway in a center console boat, um, essentially, trying to rescue this girl who's gotten herself in trouble. So those three things sort of happened all at the same time. And answer to your question, yes, it started with a picture. Yes, a theme bubbled up. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I had a setting and a place and all that kind of floating around my mind. Can I tell you any one of those things happened first? <laughs> Not really. They kind of all happened together. And that's just sort of the way it works with me. Wow. Well, that actually answers um, the question that I had for you is what alerted you to the atrocities of human trafficking? Because that is the evil that is presented in your um, the trilogy books. I know the third one's not done yet, but in The Waterkeeper and The Letterkeeper. And it just... Um, I think both of those books wrecked me so because, number one, I'm affiliated with an organization here in South Carolina called Lighthouse for Life. And Lighthouse for Life is um, has lots of different branches, but they are bringing awareness to the evils of human trafficking. They are, um, you know, fundraising to help rescue um, girls and, and boys out of those situations. And then they have recently built what's called the Karis Home, which has now been put on hold because of some staffing things, but um, a home for these girls to be um, to have a safe haven and to learn how to function in normal society again, which is a long process. But yeah. that um, is what struck me first. But the other piece of this is... Um, the forgiveness and the freedom that comes with understanding Murphy's position as he's going out to rescue these girls and that he's he's a broken person himself out there trying to rescue these girls from these horrible, horrible situations. And that there's so much of this hurt and pain and shame and um, betrayal and all of that that's mixed into your stories and your characters. Um, But the, the, the bottom line is that there is hope and there is freedom and there is redemption in all of that brokenness. So, um, I think that was what, you know, really, really got me going with both of these books and why I even want to interview you about this. Um, 
And I think part of it was, how did you do your research on the the action parts? You know, I can just picture you out in your boat, riding, you know, through the water and, you know, getting this, this picture of him in your mind and how he's rescuing. So how did you do some of that? Well, I did, I did, uh, from Jacksonville to Key West, the intercoastals, you know, 300 and something miles long. And, and I did that along with some friends, and took over a couple of days. And it's a beautiful trip and we, it's a phenomenal experience and I love getting to do it. But I think the thing that, that, that struck me, I think the thing that I've learned, and, and there are a lot of great organizations that do a lot of really great work and they, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who do phenomenal stuff. And so I'm not, I'm not pretending to be the expert, but I do mm-hmm. have some experience and I have met and spent time with ladies that have been rescued and, 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 and even guys. Um, the thing that has struck me as I've spent time with them and I didn't expect this mm-hmm. was the mental, um, it's beyond abuse and it's beyond warfare. It's the, mm. it's like the mental tyranny or the mental just mind erasing that occurs inside the, the hearts and minds of people that are trafficked and they begin to believe when they're there long enough, they begin to believe that not only will no one ever come rescue them, but the reason no one will ever come rescue them is because they are of no value. Mm. And they, they literally lose any sense of their own value. And that has, that's been the thing that's really broken my heart when you, you know, when you, when you talk to them, they just, you find them in different places of healing and the, the ones that are healed now know their value and that they're, you know, children of the king. And Mm -hmm. maybe the ones that have just been plucked out of the prison cell can't understand why you would risk anything to do that. They're just, they're just a commodity. They're just a dollar sign. So that's been the, in my own education, that's been the thing that is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's beautiful to see the transformation that occurs as the Lord gets a hold of and and does what only he can do um, but it is it's painful mm-hmm. to meet folks or find someone in a place where they have zero concept of their own value and that was a real eye-opening thing for me yes and it is nothing short of a miracle if they come out of it and if they are able to um, allow um Christ to embrace them in that and it's a reteaching it's a re um, it's having it's it's like the renewing of your mind the scripture says but for them it's a complete renewing um, starting over from scratch and and realizing that they are created by their creator and that he loves them more than anybody else could ever possibly love them um, and then to have people who are dedicated to loving on these people, on these girls and and guys that have you know suffered through all of that, it's just it's mind-boggling. Um, it's heavy, um, 
it's difficult to, you know, listen to stories, but it's also a picture of Christ bringing people out of brokenness in whatever area that you're broken. But I believe Satan's schemes are just getting more and more violent and more and more um, atrocious. And this is one of the evils that he is just continuing his mission of stealing, killing, and destroying um, people so that they don't ever come out of it. I don't know how they tally this, but I've heard I've heard it on multiple platforms. There are more people enslaved today in sex trafficking than in the all of recorded history of the world. Yes, I think I've heard that as well, but I don't know what the number is either. That's that's horrifying. It's just it's just horrifying. But the second thing that I've learned it's uh, since we're in. Um, I'm telling you about me mm-hmm. you've asked here's the second thing I've realized about me that I don't like mm-hmm. um, and um, you know I've asked the Lord I'm like Lord I need help on this but I've I've bumped into folks who are not yet on the rescued side and are not yet on the you know the walk with the Lord they're still very much in the and some of them just want to stay there. Mm-hmm. But when you bump into them, they present, I mean, you know, everything from the heroin addicts to the, you know, just let your mind run with whatever it is that turns you off about when somebody, you know, invades your personal space and gets all up in your business and is ugly to you or screams at you or whatever. And I've, okay, so I've encountered some of these folks, and my first reaction is not what I wish it was. I'm not looking at that person, you know, through the lenses of Jesus. I'm looking at them through my own. It's like the Pharisee in me has control of my eyes, and I have to, I have to stop. I have friends that do not suffer this condition, and they see people, and they're like man, what do you need and how can I help you? And, and sometimes my knee jerk is not that. Um, it's, I wish it was, but it's not all, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. So as a, one of the things the Lord has revealed to me is, um, you know, I, I don't know what else to call it other than a Pharisee in me that needs to just get, you know, <laughs> he needs to die. Um, but it, but the cool thing is when when he is you know pressed out of the way, and I do really see the beauty of these people in front of me. And honestly, it's happened most often often when I've been speaking in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord's done a beautiful thing in my eyes and in my heart, and it is really a cool thing to. Um, find yourself you know I mean Jesus ate the sinners and tax collectors and it's you know (laughs) that means us (laughs) and so it's really an amazing and cool thing to be um, amidst you know folks who've heard the verdict guilty Mm. and and to be able to just love them and you know say how can I pray for you and so that's been the 
that's been probably those two things that the, the, the idea that they feel they are not of value mm-hmm. and then my own judgmental pharisaical you know jerk that needs to get punched in the teeth and when I get him out of the way I'm a whole lot more like Jesus right and it's difficult because a lot of times we've we haven't experienced what these what other people have experienced we haven't walked in their shoes they haven't walked in ours but it's um like you said we have to it's intentional we have to be careful and view them through the lens of Jesus that he's he loves them just as much as he loves us and um you know we're no better than anybody else and it's by grace that we are where we are um it's it's just lots of layers and i wish we had hours and hours to talk about it but um it's just it's just a difficult thing to wrap your wrap your mind around sometimes um well, let's see. Let me let me see. Oh, I know. I wanted to ask you because of your characters, um, Bones and Murphy, and Bones being basically a mentor for Murphy. I don't want to give it away because I want people to actually read the book. There's so many surprises in it, and I don't want to do that. But do you have a mentor in your life that Bones reminds you of, or um, even a Murphy? No, I think at this point, I'm 16 novels in. Probably had you asked me that of any of my earlier novels, I could point to someone that, you know, my characters derive from. But at this point, you know, I've used used all those people. (laughs) Right. And there's a thing thing that happens in the life of a writer, and it's probably different for every writer. But whether it's three books or five or six or eight, or at some point you run out of autobiographical stuff and you just start writing from you know sort of melding so when I was a kid we used to buy those big old um, boxes of 64 crayons you remember that oh, sharpener yes. on the back and <laughs> it was the coolest thing because you got all these colors and then one day I had this brilliant idea that I would uh, I would melt it and because uh, I thought well if those colors look like this you know it'll swirl and it'll look like those popsicles that you eat you know they're all swirls and I thought that'd be so neat and I saw I melted it and what you end up with is this really ugly brown goo looking stuff Mm. and it's all of the colors melt into this one really not so I think sometimes that us writers after we've been doing it long enough all the crayons kind of melt into one and we start uh, we have to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out how to you know, how to color again. Right. Hmm. Well, that is interesting because they're such powerful characters. So I, I would have imagined that they would um, have flown, not flown, flowed out of, um, you know, someone specific in your life. But I get it. That makes perfect sense with the crayons. Um, I think also with um, the, like I was mentioning earlier on about the freedom and the forgiveness um, is such a huge piece of these stories um, or this one continuous story that um, it's something that um, everybody has to deal with at some point in their life. And um, even, even in my own story, um, I've come to realize over the last couple of years after 
putting it down on paper that forgiveness is actually a holy art that we continue to um, practice over and over and over again. And your characters and the girls and um, just with Summer and um, all of that, it just it just reiterates how powerful um, forgiveness is and how it is a part of the healing process. And so I just appreciate that that is an, a real aspect of the Keeper series. And I can't wait to read the third one. And that comes out in June next year. Well, theoretically, yes. If I can get it finished and we can get it edited, then yes, it will. Otherwise, my publisher will have to bump it back. But yeah, I'm working on it. She, yeah. she wrote me yesterday and said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm writing furiously, and I promised to get it to her next week. So, Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, we can't wait. Um, all of us on that are into this particular series especially cannot wait to see how book three turns out. Um, well, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with me on the Living World Podcast, and I'm really humbled that you would agree to have this conversation with me, and um, I would love to have you back maybe in season three and talk about your two nonfiction books, if that might be a possibility. Sure, sure. Okay, well, great. I love, talk- I love talking about them, so... Well, that's they were, awesome. Um, they were a lot of, I wouldn't say they were a lot of fun for me to write, and they were, and I loved it, but it was really it was a, very much a different thing. I wondered if I, as a fiction novel writer, could switch gears and turn my attention toward, um, you know, true stories mm-hmm. and my walk with the Lord. And it was a really neat thing that it just happened. I just literally turned the page one day and it was like something clicked in my brain and I said, okay, well, let me just tell the story of the one that I love. And so anyway, what if it's true and they turned the world upside down and grew out of that and, uh, and I love it. I'm grateful my publisher let me do it. And I'm, I'm really proud of those books. Well, that's awesome because we're actually going to do a drawing after this um, podcast airs and I've ordered three of your books the water keeper the letter keeper and um you turned they turned the world upside down signed copies and someone that listens to this podcast all the way through and is able to answer a few questions will be in the drawing and they will get all three of those books so i'm excited to be able to give those away awesome well um tell our our Uh, listeners uh, how they can follow you find you um, those kinds of things with social media and etc well you can read all about my books at my website which is charlesmartinbooks.com you can find me on uh, facebook and instagram under storied career that's my name storied career Mm -hmm. Um, and i am somewhat regular on the social media for me is a um, I have to I have to click out of writing gear. I have to click into social marketing gear, and it, I don't do it well. And uh, you know, <laughs> I got to get better at it. But anyway, that's where you can find me. And um, of course, um, all my stuffs on Amazon and all that. So, all right. Well, great. Well, before we end, may I pray for you? Absolutely. All right. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just are in awe of who you are. 
how you work intricately in our lives and um, through your grace and your love and your mercy and all of your attributes, Father. And we just um, thank you so much for giving us time today to be able to talk with Charles and um, talk about the stories that you've placed in his mind and his heart to um, present to the public. And Father, I just thank you for his willingness to to do what you've called him to do, to, to be obedient and to um, walk this journey with you and to continue to learn and to grow. And I pray a special um, prayer and blessing over his family, over he and Christy and their boys and this new um, season in life that they're experiencing. And I just pray, Lord, that your love would just continue to abound and to um, draw them close, not only to you, Father, which is most important, but then to one another. And may their legacy continue to be um, something that only you can create and uh, we just thank you for what they've added into our lives even though we've never met in person and i just pray father that your ministry through him will continue to bring honor and glory to our lord and savior jesus christ and we just uh, turn this podcast over to you and just ask you to do with it what you will and we um, pray all of this in the powerful name of jesus christ amen Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Charles. And hopefully I will talk to you soon. And listeners, um, for more information on Living Real, you can go to livingrealmag.com. You can read um, past articles. You can check out other podcasts there. Um, Go to our store and check out a few things. And um, like I said earlier, we will be having a drawing for three of Charles' books. They will be signed copies. But all of that information will be in the show notes of the podcast. So thank you again for being um, with us today. And this concludes the Living Real Podcast. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Living Real Podcast. I hope you've been encouraged today to draw closer to Christ through His Word, to pray for a heart that's fully devoted to Him, and to engage with your circle of influence as you seek to live like Christ. I'm already looking forward to our time together next month. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Living Real Mag, and visit our website at www.livingrealmag.com. Until next time, we are in your corner cheering you on to live real for Jesus' sake.